Welcome to the Hypermobility Happy Hour podcast, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to discussing hypermobility conditions, including hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. On this podcast, we like to explore different perspectives on connective tissue conditions and what we can do to treat our symptoms and to live more fulfilling lives. Today, we're honored to have John Furman back again to talk about his recent work with his organization, EDS Awareness slash Chronic Pain Partners. EDS Awareness and Chronic Pain Partners has tons of great content, including free online webinars that are posted to YouTube, one of which has an astounding 50,000 views. So definitely check them out if you haven't already and are looking to learn more about Ehlers-Danlos and chronic pain. One of the recent topics John has been working on is raising awareness about how EDS is not, quote, all in your head. John, hello, and welcome back to the Hypermobility Happy Hour. Hello, Carrie. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm looking forward to discussing a number of existing and new programs that we want to share with you and your listeners. Sounds great. Well, let's start back at the beginning for those listeners out there who may be unfamiliar with your work. When did you first learn about Ehlers-Danlos and what was your path to establishing EDS Awareness Chronic Pain Partners? Well, basically, my daughter Deanna was diagnosed with EDS, hypermobile EDS, in 2008. That was the same year my wife, Carol, passed away with breast cancer. We will discuss that in detail later. Deanna did a lot of research on EDS, and we attended a number of conferences and and events before starting our programs and websites. I was about to retire as an IT program manager, and this seemed to be the right time to start this nonprofit 501c3 for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so wonderful that you've been able to use those skills um, in this just amazing organization. Can you give us an overview of the work that EDS Awareness and Chronic Pain Partners do? Yes. uh, EDS Awareness Chronic Pain Partners' mission is to connect, support, and educate those with disabilities, particularly Ehlers-Danlos and associated conditions. We actually started forming and supporting new and existing support groups uh, back in 2012. We have over 110 groups worldwide listed on our site. Each group was given their own free web pages. Uh, This was before Facebook got really popular, and they were able to reference their meetings and Facebook sites. We have conducted over 120 webinars by EDS and disability experts on as many as 60 different topics. EDS Awareness and Chronic Pain Partners has sponsored and participated in EDS and disability conferences, exhibits, and walks. Our educational programs include support group training, leadeds.com, and healthcare provider training with CMEs and CNEs and CEUs at Ehlers Danlos cme.org. We have had participants from over 50 countries looking for information about Ehlers-Danlos and related disabilities. That's incredibly impressive amount of work, and we'll include links to those um, programs, the online support group training and the healthcare provider training, um, which I think I understand is the first of its kind for Ehlers-Danlos, if I'm correct. And thank you so much for that overview and for all of your tireless work throughout the years. It is so very much appreciated and so necessary. Now let's talk about a key issue that you've honed in on and have been publishing some great content about lately, 
The issue of whether EDS is, quote, all in our heads, as many people with EDS and other hypermobility conditions have heard or some version of this idea. Uh, Can you tell us why you honed in on this particular issue and your thoughts on why this is such a major issue in the community? In my decades of working with people with EDS, the number one comment I get is my doctor will not treat me and says it's all in my head. And lately, some physicians and psychiatrists suggest that people with EDS have lots of mental health conditions, which is harmful to our community. In the following discussion, I want to review why it's already challenging to get good care as a person with EDS and why I feel and totally disagree with EDS is all in your head and why I feel we need to be cautious seeing and listening to psychiatrists for EDS care. In my opinion, there are many reasons why doctors don't want to treat EDS patients. For example, because EDS is a multi-systematic genetic condition, many doctors are specialists, get overwhelmed with a patient discusses more than one or two conditions like hypermobile EDS, POTS, mast cell activation syndrome, TMJ, GI issues, and it goes on and on. Many doctors have an ego to protect and will not admit that they do not understand the EDS condition, and most do not. Moreover, they do not have the time or desire to learn about it. They are okay supporting their current practice, and they and or their administration do not want them to learn more or have them distracted with a complicated condition. Let's keep it simple. On top of that, the doctor's administrations only allow them to spend 15 minutes with a patient, which cannot cover all the conditions of an ill or Danlos patient. Insurance is very limited in covering EDS conditions. Hospitals are supposed to be nonprofits. Many hospital administrations are looking to conduct procedures for patients to charge the insurance and make more money. That is why the high emphasis on cancer, heart disease, surgeries, etc. Those with EDS are not looking for, nor do they need these expensive procedures, but they need the doctor's time and understanding. Many hospitals nowadays are applying for lucrative grants to do research and assign doctors and resources to these projects to make more money. There are few, if any, grants associated with EDS. This diverts potential resources away from EDS and most disabilities. So now let's talk about my personal experiences with this all in your head and seeing psychiatrists or uneducated healthcare professionals for EDS care. My wife, Carol, and I were married for 41 years. She passed away in 2008. Carol earned her master's degree in social work at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Back in the 80s, she was the first director of a new 724 crisis hotline, which is still in existence in Cleveland, Ohio. She trained over 40 volunteers there, and we did eight-hour shifts. After two years, she started to have symptoms of EDS, but not, did not know what it was. We went to see over 35 doctors with no diagnosis. Her primary care physician finally decided to check her into a mental hospital for 30 days. Every day, she would sit in a chair in front of three psychiatrists 
who did not understand her physical condition. They would ask her questions and decide what pills she would get that day. Some days she would, they would just increase the dosage of a pill that she was already taking, but never deleted any pills. By the time she left the hospital, she was on 13 pills. None of these helped her. One pill had a class action lawsuit because it caused breast cancer. After her experiences at the mental hospital, she was dealing with clinical depression for over nine months with another psychiatrist who eventually got her down to five pills. The one pill that had a class action lawsuit because it caused breast cancer started to take effect. Carol was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2002. After surgeries and three complete passes of chemo, she barely survived, but then passed away in 2008. She was never diagnosed with EDS. If my wife had been diagnosed with EDS instead of being told it was all in her head, she would never have taken those pills that harmed her. Now, my daughter Deanna has many issues her mother had with EDS as well. To name a few, hypermobile EDS, POTS, mast cell activation syndrome, uh, TMJ, GI issues. Deanna is 50 years old, has been living with us for five years. She received her pre-med degree at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and wanted to become a doctor. Her EDS symptoms began shortly after that. Of course, her husband did not understand, and after two years of spousal abuse counseling, she finally decided to move in with us and get a divorce. We hired a full-time live-in caregiver to help her throughout the day. She has significant TMJ, has not eaten solid food for three years, only a liquid diet of four Cape Farms peptides for 2,000 calories a day. She has ankle and knee issues, but still wants to walk to the bathroom very slowly four or five times a day. I'm sometimes up until two or three o'clock in the morning, getting her ready for bed with braces and bed adjustments. There are many more issues that I could describe. However, the, the point I want to make is that neither Carol, after the mental hospital, nor Deanna currently has exhibited major signs of anxiety, depression, or any mental illnesses. Deanna has a well-established routine that needs to be followed. She somehow has maintained a relatively positive attitude despite her continuous pain and dependence upon us. Statements like it's all in head from those psychiatrists or physicians who wrongfully attribute many typical EDS symptoms to those of uh, conditions in psychological causes are damaging and dangerous to our community. Like many of those with EDS, once the physical condition is identified and a treatment plan is established, those with EDS can become hopeful and cope well with their symptoms. Many doctors, psychiatrists, or uneducated healthcare professionals are focusing solely on anxiety and depression, and they do not understand and treat the underlying physical conditions. Some patients may develop anxiety or depression as a consequence of pain or simply because they have had to endure so many negative experiences. Due to all these experiences I've shared with you, I'd like to ask 
everyone to be cautious when choosing a psychiatrist for EDS care. Like most doctors, the psychiatrist does not have a clue about what is EDS and doesn't know how to treat it, nor has the time or desire to learn. Like the doctor, the psychiatrist will soon become overwhelmed with the real, mainly physical conditions that the EDS patient is experiencing. The psychiatrist will attempt to treat the physical condition, which they do not understand, as a mental condition, which is dangerous and can cause more problems. Moreover, the psychiatrist's primary treatment is medication and pills. Many or or most of our EDS members have GI issues, and like my wife Carol and daughter Deanna, have had significant issues with most medications. And there are many more issues that arise from psychoanalyzing EDS symptoms. For example, because of the lack of knowledge related to EDS, many of our parents are accused of Moonchester syndrome or by proxy, and EDS patients and caregivers are very passionate about helping their family and friends get support and medical treatments. When they are told that it is all in the head, they do not believe that and continue to persist. Many psychiatrist publications support the idea that EDS is more of a mental condition rather than a physical condition. Parents have been charged with child abuse. Additionally, we've had multiple reports of parents charged with child abuse because of the lack of knowledge about Ehlers-Danlos. And psychiatrist publications have promoted this inaccurate opinions and findings about EDS. Some cases have results in parents' suicide. Parents have been sent to jail. Other cases have been caused the removal of children from the original parents who care for them and place the, then they place them in foster homes and foster homes do not have a clue about the child's physical condition and the child does not get the help they need and they get worse. Those with EDS are primarily now focusing on getting support and treatment for their physical condition. We want to help them find support groups, educational resources to understand their condition and improve the quality of their life. We suggest using extreme caution, consulting or listening to unreputable doctors and particular psychiatrists for Ehlers-Danlos treatment. Thank you so much for sharing that absolutely heartbreaking story. And I am just so sorry that you had to experience that absolutely horrific experience with your wife, Carol. She sounds like an amazing woman and she deserved better. And so many in the community deserve better than the current state of things. And I really commend you for speaking out on this um, incredibly painful and major issue in the community. It's it's devastating, and um, and that's good advice to to be wary and to to ask questions and make sure that any provider that you're working with, hopefully, has a, a base level awareness of Ehlers Danlos, and if not, is genuinely curious to learn. And um, you know, you point out that a lot of the experiences that people with Ehlers Danlos face can lead to depression and anxiety. And certainly the symptoms themselves, especially when they're not being properly treated for the physical symptoms that they are, can cause things that appear, you know, behavioral things that appear to other people as anxiety and depression. 
Um, but it's so dismaying how anxiety, depression, and you know other related conditions are often the starting and ending point for treating people with Ehlers-Danlos when they have often, you know, many undiagnosed and untreated physical conditions that when resolved or when treated appropriately result in, you know, a a cognitive effect or, or you know, an effect on mental health as well. And so I think it's so important to put that all in context. And I think about, you know, there's all these papers about how Ehlers-Danlos is associated with so many mental conditions and, you know, like, and a lot of the the data when you dig into some of these papers is really perplexing, and um, some of it is just outright disturbing. Um, but it's curious because I have not seen this kind of discussion when it comes to other major systemic conditions like cancer. And you know, it's possible I just haven't encountered those articles, but I'm not seeing a major, you know, piece of academic discussion around people with cancer having higher rates of anxiety and depression, which sort of stands to reason and I would think is true. It's an incredibly traumatic experience to go through chemo. You know, I've I've known people who have had to go through that. And obviously anything that you're going through in terms of physical suffering and physical pain can have an effect on the mind. Um, And yet it's so dismaying to see the amount of focus in the psychiatry community on you know, these issues being associated with Ehlers-Danlos and then the routes just solely being psychiatric treatment without a full investigation and workup of the physical symptoms. So there's certainly a place for, you know, mental health treatment of issues and people with conditions of all types, you know, connective tissue and otherwise. But I think that's incredibly wise advice to be really wary and and try to work with people who who actually understand this condition, which is so difficult to do because, like you mentioned, just the vast majority of doctors um, don't have that baseline knowledge, or some of them are even misinformed about what Ehlers-Danlos is, and so that can be incredibly tricky. But thank you for sharing uh, just su- such a heartbreaking story and. It's very moving that you've been able to take that experience and channel it into this amazing organization that helps others to not have to experience the horrific experience that your wife had to go through. So I I am just so sorry that you had to experience that, but so thankful that you are working and advocating for the community as tirelessly as you are. And so as someone who has worked in this space for a long time, what do you see as the ways to get doctors to take EDS more seriously? And in the meantime, do you have any suggestions for people who are struggling to get the physical aspects of their condition treated and addressed? Well, that's a very good question. And that's the second question I get is, where can I find the resources, the doctors that can treat me for EDS? And we've discovered that many of the more senior uh, doctors aren't really that interested in learning about Ehlers-Danlos. It's very complex. And what we've been doing recently is educating pre-med students about EDS and related disabilities. Uh, These earlier medical students uh, seem more receptive to learn about these conditions. And we've had some very good uh, uh, programs with that. We suggest you find or start a support group and create a list of 
local resources and healthcare providers. When people ask me about a provider in their area, I always send them to the leader or the Facebook sites for those particular uh, support groups. So support groups are extremely important. Find a, a primary care doctor that's interested in helping you in, in learning about more about EDS and related disabilities. Uh, provide them with education through our programs or through other programs, and we need to educate the medical community. Absolutely. And I think that's so smart to go to um, medical students and students before they've kind of been in this system and um, are already sort of set in their ways. Um, Because I agree, it can be really challenging to work with doctors who have been in practice for a long time. And like you said, the ego can get challenged by the idea that there is this, you know, multi-systemic condition that is deeply impactful and affects a lot of people and is not rare at all. It's just rarely diagnosed and it's flown so under the radar of, you know, virtually everyone in the industry. And so I think that's really smart and, um, and so great that your organization provides that support to help people get connected because um, I know that's been a great source of support for me um, you know, when li- listeners reach out and I'm able to have conversations with them, uh, sharing information back and forth and even just sharing experiences. It, it's incredibly powerful and it makes me feel less alone in this experience. And And so, yeah, if anyone's listening out there and, and wants to reach out, um, you can always feel free to email us at hypermobilityhappyhour at gmail.com and um, we'll do whatever we can to try to get you connected to the, the right resources for your area and, and for your specific needs. Um, John, your organization also recently published an article on the experience of caregivers who take care of people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and I found that a really important topic to cover. Can you tell us a little bit about the article and your insights and observations about caregiving for individuals with EDS and hypermobility conditions? Well, many of our members are left alone by themselves because of their medical conditions. uh, Their spouses and friends do not understand. Some members cannot work, have difficulty paying for food, rent, and medical bills, and they need someone to help them. As I mentioned earlier, we are blessed to have a full-time paid living caregiver, but this is very expensive, and most people cannot afford that. I personally have been a caregiver for my family since the 80s, and we want to acknowledge that caregivers that are helping our members are very valuable. Many are family members, support group leaders, and members, friends. A caregiver needs to have the basic understanding about Ehlers-Danlos or the related disability that they're involved with. Uh, Patience is extremely important. Good listening skills being an advocate and and helping with the patient's doctors and many other situations that the patient needs to have help. Just taking them to a doctor appointment and being there with them is extremely important for our members. Absolutely. And I think it's so important that you highlighted the experience of caregivers um, because it it can be incredibly, you know, difficult role to take on, but has the opportunity to be very fulfilling as well if the conditions are right, like you said, it really requires quite a bit of patience. And, and certainly, you know, I know from experience, it can be very helpful to have 
someone with you in the right context, you know, if you have a good trusting relationship with your doctor to have someone along with you to help you, um, you know, stay on track, remember the issues that should be discussed, because it can be very stressful being in a doctor appointment and trying to get through a lot of material in that 15 minute, or maybe if you're lucky, maybe a 30 minute appointment. But a lot of us have, you know, chronic issues that, you know, need to be attended to. And it takes a lot of time and, and it can be immensely stressful. And so I think it's it's so great that your organization has highlighted that experience. Can you tell us a little bit about what other projects you're currently working on through your organization? Well, we recently have been contacting people that are what we call marginalized individuals to tell their stories. Uh, this population includes, but is not limited to groups uh, of different race, uh, gender identity, uh, sexual orientation, age, uh, physical ability, language. Uh, Unfortunately, some patients have had more issues with finding medical resources and support because of discrimination. We have an article on our site about a lady of color, and this lady uh, was told that ADS is a white disorder, And there was this notion that black people wouldn't have EDS because it's a European disease. Therefore, she could not join a support group. Another article contains an interview with a transgender patient with similar results. They both had difficulty getting medical support, getting uh, support from other people. Uh, So there is a group of people that are really having and struggling with getting support and medical support for their condition. Absolutely. It's incredibly tragic. And I mean, the the lack of access to care, even in sort of the best circumstances where people have the most resources is terrible. But for people that are being discriminated against for the reasons that you said, it's just unimaginable and it's heartbreaking to hear these stories. And, and so I really commend you for um, putting focus on, um, you know, the patients that are, you know, ac- acutely, you know, really being discriminated against in these awful ways, like, like you just mentioned. Um, and it's the, the stereotypes and just the, the misinformation and the myths out there about Ehlers-Danlos, uh, it never ceases to astound me um, just how much ignorance there is out there. And uh, it's one thing to not know something, but it's it's another to not be curious and to try to learn or, or try to, you know, route that patient to an appropriate place for their conditions. And uh, it's, it's heartbreaking, but um, seeing the work of organizations like yours trying to counteract that and showcasing the stories of people experiencing these things is so powerful. And I think individuals sharing their own experiences, you know, like you just did with your own personal story, and then highlighting the stories of others who are being particularly and specifically marginalized. I think that's critically important, you know, for the community and for for the individuals going through these experiences. And hopefully, you know, all these different efforts from different organizations will, you know, eventually start to chip away at that ignorance. And in the CME program and working with new um, medical students and kind of trying to get them to see the immense opportunity that lies in treating these patients, um, you know, hopefully, um, the future will be brighter than it has been, um, but uh, it's a, it's an incredibly tough situation right now, and and really commendable that you're doing what you can to help. 
Um, for people out there who are looking for support groups, um, what do you recommend? One thing that I think you can do is go out and Google uh, for support groups. I find many of them that way. Uh, most of them are private Facebook sites. And once you find one of those, you can actually uh, invite yourself and they can let you in. Many of the support groups are local, but there are worldwide support groups. There are uh, groups for different states. There's groups for different cities. One of the things you got to be cautious about is that some support groups will be unique to a particular city. So, uh, for example, uh, in Ohio, we have a group for Cincinnati, Ohio, and it is unique to Cincinnati, Ohio and 50 degrees, 50 miles around that. So uh, you have to be cautious. There's others. There's a worldwide uh, EDS support group. There's a lot of resources and a lot of good information, a lot of connection for the support groups. If you have difficulty finding a support group, uh, send me an email at chronicpainpartners at gmail.com and I'll try to help you with that. You know, a couple other future uh, programs that we're working on, I just wanted to share this because it's the, the most recent program that we've started. About two years ago, we partnered with a lady named Karina Stern. She's a German journalist and she's been publishing our newsletter for about a year and with interviews and book reviews and it's related to the struggles of people that have EDS and associated conditions. We promoted her We Are Visible documentary she did two years ago and we funded her seven-week visit to the U.S. to create videos and documentaries resulting from interviews with U.S. and Canadian patients, doctors, and organizations. And these are going to be completed over the next a few months and posted on our site. So uh, look out for those because those are going to be really personal uh, related to individuals that have Ehlers-Danlos. And, you know, one thing that I tell people is we think of ourselves as a, a bottoms-up organization. We work with people that have Ehlers-Danlos and associated condition, and we're trying to help them connect, support, and educate. We know there's other organizations that are kind of top-down. They're working with doctors and, and focusing on that, but we're working with the individuals that have the condition, trying to help them get more support for what they're dealing with. So it's uh, it's been a really beneficial program. I continue to uh, use that as a uh, motivation for myself and other people. And we get a lot of positive comments about what we're doing. We get a lot of recommendations for what we're doing. And we really appreciate uh, Carrie this opportunity to uh, share with you uh, this information, and we commend you for your hypermobility happy hour and the information you're providing to give more people information about EDS awareness. Oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting with you as always. And yeah, thanks for mentioning Karina's projects. She's amazing. You can find her on Instagram and you can follow her newsletter. I highly encourage people to sign up for that. She does amazing advocacy work. And I'm so excited for this documentary to come out because 
I think these kind of representations in film are so impactful. And her previous documentary was amazing. There's been a lot of great buzz over the new recent documentary from Mitch Marteau. And I think just the more the better, because we really have not had much representation in films, really virtually none, um, except for, you know, th- there's definitely been hypermobile, hypermobile people on shows and movies, but really nothing that's focused on, you know, obviously, except for, you know, Karina and Mitch's great work. Um, that's focused on the the lived experience of what it's like to have these conditions. So truly amazing work. I really commend you and your organization. And and thank you again for sharing your story. It's such a difficult, painful story, but really appreciate you sharing it. And thank you so much for your time today and for all of your advocacy and your incredible work. It's, It's so much appreciated. Thank you, Carrie. You have a good day. You too. Well, that's all for this episode of the Hypermobility Happy Hour. As always, feel free to reach out to us at hypermobilityhappyhour at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions for future episodes or topics, or if you just want to chat and share your thoughts. See you next time. Bye.